Hey, I'm Tanya Ali, the executive producer of Race Matters. Before we kick off today's show, a heads up that this week's episode contains discussions about depression, suicide and abuse. If it brings anything to the surface for you, or if you just need to talk to someone, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. We'll pop that number and a few others in the episode description for you too. Race Matters. 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 As always, before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the lands of the Gadigal peoples of which we are broadcasting on today. This land has been tended to for thousands of years by generations of Gadigal peoples before us. It will continue to be a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, song, and generations and generations after us as well. So we are always extremely privileged to do the same here today at FBI Radio. So I pay my respects to Gadigal elders, past, present, and emerging. We are broadcasting from Red Firm. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country. It's a mm-hmm. sign for resistance and resilience as well for our First Nations people here in Sydney. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Sada Khan, and today on the show, we are privileged to have Bundjalung woman Vanessa Turnbull-Roberts here with us. Vanessa has grown up on Gadigal lands here in Redfern. She's been a consistent advocate and an invaluable voice to our communities, challenging systemic abuse against our people with the ongoing forcible removal and adoption of Aboriginal children, over-representation of Indigenous incarceration and Black deaths in custody. She is a law student at UNSW, and on Friday morning, she submitted her honours thesis, and a few hours later, won the young people human rights medal she's an incredible force of strength and a powerhouse to our communities and we are really honored to have her be our final guest on race matters for 2019 welcome my sis thank you my sister how are you feeling i'm feeling exhausted um my head feels like it's still ready to go but my body's catching up and i think that's that's common for a lot of us when we get to the end of the year um, it just hits us like no tomorrow. Um, but just following off with what you said, um, I also want to acknowledge traditional custodians of this land. Um, I want to pay my respects. I want to pay my respects to the Gadigal warriors, healers um, in which this land and this radio station situates on. Um, and I also want to acknowledge you for your staunchness. Um, I've had the honour of following you for a while now um, and I'm really proud of you, my sister. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you for bringing a grassroots perspective always to all of your movements. Um, and I'm just so proud to be here with you this morning. So thank you for having me as the, the final guest. Oh, it's a real honour and privilege to have you share your voice onto Race Matters and onto our archive as well because you really are a strong representation of what we try to do here and what we try to accomplish at Race Matters. And then it's even more exciting as well that we've got you here straight off the bat of what you accomplished out of Friday. Um, so that's why I'm really like excited that you came in today. Even what do you mean you got me while we had coffee? You <laughs> got me unexpectedly. <laughs> I was planning it. I knew you were going to win. I knew you were going to win. <laughs> you, you, you did the nomination, eh? I, I, I thought I'd... <laughs> Don't you know that? I honestly have no clue who nominated me. No, oh, wow. no clue who who put that form in. Um, do you want to know? Do you know? No, I don't. Oh. But do you want to know? <laughs> uh, part of yeah, part of me really wants to know because I really appreciate mm. that love and that that integrity and that warmth of someone doing that. Um, 
But at the same time, being at that human rights um, award ceremony, it was just powerful to be there and be able to share that platform at such a space to share um, the struggles that we are facing and to share um, with a variety of people that were there because in those spaces you tend to miss a lot of the voices. Yeah. Um, and I kind of was very fortunate enough to be surrounded by family, friends and community, um, but also people in those organisations where it could just be said. So part of me is happy that I don't know because then I would have, I don't know if they're going to feel comfortable with what I said, but part of me is just like, huh, we'll accept the surprise and the yeah, love. And yeah, yeah. That's just love. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And you also submitted your thesis, your honours thesis, like earlier that morning. So tell us a little bit about the journey you took being in a space like a university because like universities are such colonial spaces and they're elitist spaces mm. so to have to dominate as that as well with the area that you focused your thesis in and around would have been a mm. proper testing time I can imagine yes yes it absolutely was um you know so I, I'm in my fifth year of um law and social work at UNSW and um as blackfellas we are a minority in that space mm. um going into my thesis it was something that I kind of always wanted to do when I was in my second or third year. I kind of had this goal that, no, when I finish off and get to the end of my degree, I want to have a thesis and a hard copy to say this is what I've done to complete. Um, actually going into the thesis classroom, I was the only black woman in that space. Um, it was hard. Um, it was challenging. And it was particularly even more challenging when you have particular teachers, particularly individuals who are against the message that you're trying to that you're trying to share. So my thesis brought a lot of attention around the recent amendments, the adoption laws that came in um, earlier this year, which were pushed last year. Um, and these adoption laws, um, as you'd know, my sis, are impacting our children out of home care. Yep. They're a particular target for our infants and children. Um, and pretty much Parliament put out an inquiry saying we would like to hear from the people, we would like to hear from individuals, organisations, um, about what they feel about these adoption laws. Um, as blackfellas do, we mobilised, we organised and we did our best to try and decolonise that system. Mm. So Aboriginal organisations put through their submissions and were completely silenced. So I thought what a perfect opportunity to jump into my thesis and amplify these voices and amplify it in this academia space. Um, don't get me wrong, um, I, love, I love what knowledge can do, I love what education can do, I love that you know, when I think of the Charlie Perkins and I think of the 1967 referendum and the movements, I'm so proud to know that we can walk into these universities. Um, but what I'm seeing a lot lately is a lot of people walk into these spaces and we're forgetting where we're from. We're forgetting to come back out mm. and we're forgetting to heal with our ancestors and our elders. They did not march those streets. They did not protest and fight for our basic human rights for us to go in and forget who we are and where we're from. Um, so as much as I love being in this space as, as an opportunity because that is resistance as well. You know, I've always said it, the resistance in media, exactly what you're doing, the resistance in the arts, the resistance in academia, the resistance on the streets, the resistance in our old people, the resistance in just being alive, being black and mm. still living, that's extraordinary. But we, I find that sometimes we go into these institutional spaces um, and we can get caught up into black elitism and I think we always need to remember to come back out who we are and where we're from and yeah. reground, you know. So that was really challenging for me doing that thesis. Um, but I'm so fortunate that um, having, and I say it all the time, just loving love, like extraordinary love and humanity and 
great people around me that were like just just get it done or if you need me to go over and edit I'm here if you need to have a yarn I'm here um, and writing about triggering topics um, it was very much linked to out-of-home care and that was the primary purpose of the recent mm-hmm. amendments to the adoption laws um, it's obviously very close to my heart so when I'm reading um, you know a lot of the reports and I'm reading uh, reports that took place of the year of my own removal um, yeah. and what government's supposedly intentions were. Um, that's something that really triggers me and it was really difficult for me. Um, but again, I had extraordinary supervisors um, who were absolutely experts in trauma um, and I was very fortunate enough to be caught by really safe people. But again, yeah, that institutional space is something that we, we need to work on a bit yeah, more. Yeah, because like that's something that a lot of people tend to forget is that First Nations people, a lot of black people, when we go into these colonial spaces, like they're quite, they're, they're violent spaces, they're culturally violent spaces because they say, you know, like come here and then you're successful, you know, but in order to become successful at our um, standard, at what we want, you have to forget your image, you have to assimilate yourself. Yep. And so to have like safe people around you, that was something that I always kind of kept around myself when I was mm. at university as well, was that I always, like my mum was like, uh, thank God for my mum because she always pushed that on me, you know, keep safe people around you be yep. very picky about who you keep around mm-hmm. you and um, especially with the type of conversations that I wanted to have in class that yep. no one else wanted to touch on yep. and so I had to really be careful about the people that I had in my space but it's not something that's really touched on enough and that is that safe mm-hmm. space and it's um, I think a lot of our young people when they go into those types of colonial spaces as well don't um, understand that they have a right to that safeness mm-hmm. as well yep. and a lot of these spaces are also kind of I feel like our universities are encroaching in on spaces that were set up for black people to have those safe spaces like our indigenous centers yeah you know like sydney university they got they they got their center dismantled and separated out into other departments and now they don't yeah and so even still that fight is still ongoing and a lot of people don't see that they think that like university is a space is a space for progressive forward-thinking people but it's 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 actually a very culturally violent space for our people don't you reckon no i absolutely i absolutely agree it can it can turn violent um, and I, you know, when I hear things like the University of Sydney shut down their Indigenous space um, without talking too much of, of run, running it down, but that's where Charlie Perkins went. He that's st- right. He started a, mm. a massive movement. Why aren't we proud of that? Mm. Why aren't we amplifying the mum shells? Why aren't we amplifying the Charlie Perkins? Why aren't we amplifying these voices where ultimately they had connections to these institutions that, again, was another way to divide us and particularly enhance white privilege and marginalise black people even more. But why aren't we looking at places like the University of Sydney where we have incredible warriors that have come out and started protest movements Mm. um, and being proud of that? Um, You know, one thing when when I'm talking to a lot of young people and children is I remind them that it's our right to be at university and it's their privilege to have us there. 100%. Um, And I don't know if it was the same for you, sis, but when you're in class... Um, and I particularly found this with uh, law subjects and I found it with some of my, my social work subjects. Um, when you're reading cases or you're reading stories and you know the family or you know the people and being blackfellas, we know last names, we know families, we know communities, we know where they're from. And all I'm thinking in my head is do these individuals and families know that their voices are being used mm. in the classroom context? Are they being compensated for every time their name is mentioned? Are they being compensated for being in this textbook now? When researchers are going out there and they're taking our knowledge and they're taking our pain and they're taking our traumas and they're contextualising that into a textbook, mm. for us to pay, what, 250 or so dollars for a book, yep. and this is times so many people doing that course, 
is that community and that family and that individual being funded every time? Do they know that they're being spoken about? Do they know where that's being used? Um, and I think in the midst of whilst universities can be violent spaces, um, there's also a potential opportunity as mm. well. It does create that opportunity where we can, you know, have those degrees where we can walk into this line of those two worlds and be able to challenge the systemic the systemic pressures that we are faced with because our old people were fighting for exactly that. Yep. For us to be able to go into the same movies, for us to be able to go into the cinemas, for us, sorry, cinemas, pools, universities. But it's what I, it's like what I just said before, sis. We need to remember to come back out. Yes. Because those institutions were not necessarily built for us in our core spirit. They are buildings, they are division, um, and we are collective. We are yep. collective healing, collective love, and we need to remember that. Yeah, we stand upon a land of an ancient wisdom, creator, spirit, beautiful, strong, yes, it giveth life for these sacred lands, eternal systems deliver through the sun, to the depths it glisten, stars in the night. Crystallized life, ancestors' prayers in my ears, so sublime. Blood in the soil, never forget or deny that anguish, the cries, the ongoing genocide, the devastation, theft, and wiping out of tribes, remorseless attacks, heinous crimes, poison in the waters. But the people we survived inscribed with lies and decimated with deceitful bribes. But the people we survive, pay respect and give love and thanks one time, one time, one time. Peace, love and unity to all my originals rise. The ancestors in the land amidst every child, woman and man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why I pay respect. Ancestors in the land amidst every child, woman, and man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why? I pay respect. Seems the world lost its mind like a sleep deprived. People not peeping signs of the symbols divine. Carvings in stone, sacred piles, ancient truths, and the workings of the grounds. The creeks and the rivers, forests with snakes liver. Calls deliver all truths and lost diction. The fox holy halo crystallize and glisten. Now replaced with street names, uni written. Smiles line space, comfortable and smitten. Roads and avenues, central business district, spiritual lassitude. Laws of metaphysics overtaken by the laws of these long lost mystics. Preceded the present, new type of linguistics causing nations conflated. Seemingly cryptic, but confusion running rampant. But deeply intrinsic devastation dipped in severed tie to the ancient rocks. Vaporized out of sight on a soon to be broken down plot. Omens I can peer seeping into sight. Time to awaken, pay respect. The ancestors in the land amidst every child, woman, and man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why? I pay respect. The ancestors in the land amidst every child, woman, and man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why? I pay respect. One of the spaces that we have 
where we can hear ourselves, we can hear each other mm. and we can push our voices forward is that space of protest. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that um, we have to protest, yeah. you know, before um, the boats arrived here, before um, 1788, 1770, before 250 years of Cook, protesting wasn't a part of our culture, but mm-hmm. it is a part of our culture now. Yeah. And it's really sad that, you know, we don't get to utilise this. We don't have the safe space of just submitting a complaint and trusting that the system will do justice mm. by us. You know, we have yeah. to galvanise and move together and you have a really strong hand in mobilizing those movements forward and creating that space for our voices to come in collectively together and be heard and so how do you um navigate that kind of space like what would be the initial kind of approach that you take in terms of organizing that movement and organizing that space and making sure that it is a space that is ultimately safe and done appropriately you know sis the first thing that i do is i sit Mm-hmm. I sit and I and I and I be really still, um, and I get consent, and I yeah. don't get consent by what's here and what we see. Um, I get consent by those ancestors, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that as First Nations people, we have that privilege to go and access when we need to gather that consent together. We can just ask those old fellows: Is it something that I'm meant to be carrying? Is it something that I'm meant to be doing? Is this right for me? Is it not my space? Is it not? Because part of I feel part of leadership um, and collective care and collective love. Um, it's knowing when to step back and it's knowing who to speak to. Mm. Um, and I'll use even, for example, making the decision to share space with you this morning. Um, when you asked for that morning, I knew when I asked consent from my, from my old people, is it appropriate to go and speak on that space? It was the right time. I'd been previously asked before, it wasn't. But being asked by another sister in this space was, was correct. And I think we need to remember as First Nations people, we have that access to tune into those old mm. fellas, but you have to reground. And it goes back to what we were yarning about before, removing ourselves from these institutional spaces and coming back down. Um, the second thing I do is I actually ask the people that are here, um, those safe people that I was talking to you about. Yep. Um, we would never, I feel, and, and, and this might be different for other people, um, but I, I don't necessarily make decisions as an individual. I always make it as a collective. Mm. So... I go and ask the safe people that I know and then I call my elders and I call the elders that have taught me stuff and I say, is this something that we can do? Is it appropriate? Is it not? Um, And I gather that information and then I make my decision after that. Um, In regards to mobilising and I guess leading, you know, I say it all the time, organising to decolonising. Yeah. Um, The first and foremost priority for me when it comes to protest movements is healing Um, because you're right, sis, we did not have protests and fighting natures and aggressive natures, and we still don't have those natures necessarily um, prior to invasion. We weren't violent people. They raised their guns. We raised our hands. Mm-hmm. We held shields. We had no idea what was going on, yep. but we felt what was going on. Um, so when I reflect and I think of that, I think of, well, that's intergenerational trauma that's being passed down to our children now. That's intergenerational, intergenerational trauma being passed down to our kids. It's betrayal trauma which is state trauma, um, and it's trauma that's going to be amplified when we come together for these protests. Mm. Um, So, you know, the recent process that we had for Brother Walker, um, I was very fortunate enough to have um, Brother Gavin, Gavin Straybrook, stand beside me. You two are a dream team, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, he... um, he held space and, and calling, calling when I called Gav and he's like, you know, I got you. Mm. And I said, well, you know, I got you. Um, having having that 
that partnership in that space um, and then also, you know, looking to the audience, seeing you, my sis, seeing the other um, First Nations strong black women in the front, um, seeing our elders, seeing our communities come together, seeing people that haven't met each other just connect and seeing the non-Indigenous people actually know their place or where they had to stand mm. in that space um, was really, really important. And, and I think that's what made it, made it successful. But in terms of... Um, preparing and how I kind of organize that mobilization and, and I'll be on for ages so please cut me when I no you go I'm you go too long <laughs> um I my priority is healing so you know first half of protest I'll always try and emphasize healing because of that trauma that is there I always know that kids are going to be there because unfortunately we are in a society today where at, since fucking 17 <laughs> sorry I'm the last one since my bad <laughs> you're um, right since, seven, since 1788 our children and we are targets to the state mm. and I know that our kids are going to be at these protests and I know that the colony is going to be at that protest and so my fear always at these protests is will the, sh- will the police start shooting will they get violent will they start hurting our jarjums so that first half of protest is always prioritised to healing um, and it's always prioritised to undertaking smoking ceremonies and making sure that we create that safe space and safe space and emotional regulation. Um, and then the second part is taking it to the streets. Yep. It's actually making that noise and it's amplifying our voices. But first, we can't have these voices physically if we aren't amplifying the voices spiritually. Um, and that is the most important the most important part of any type of conviction and protest that we're putting out there. Um, I said it when we were at, at the recent protest together, um, police didn't know what to do. They were bored. They were in the corner. They were expecting violence. They were expecting aggressive nature. They were expecting us to get wild, which we have every right to be and do so. But the thing is, we are not... We are not those things. We are not angry people. We are not. Um, we are not violent people. We are loving. We are strong. Mm-hmm. And for us to share our culture, for us to keep our culture, we got to share our culture. Because sharing our culture keeps our culture, and that's how we do it. Yeah. Um. So you know, standing along there with with all of our community together, um, I really thought it brought spirit back to Gadigal for that moment. So I was really, really happy that everyone had that sense of healing in that space. You know, sis, it's exactly what was achieved, right there. Like everyone felt that from. Yeah like the moment we arrived and the moment that we left. Um, I remember saying, talking to um, one of the sister girls, I think I was talking to Renee, Renee Thomas, Tom- yep. Thompson, sorry. And, yep. um, She's extraordinary. Yeah, she is. And I was saying how like when we first got there, I was really run down. We were all feeling really tired mm. and drained and exhausted. And, um, yep. the, you know, the healing happened, the smoking ceremony happened. Um, and then we had all those big speeches as well. And then especially when we had the phone call to Yundamu mm. as well and hearing that voice on the speaker from Yundamu too and, like, um, the pain in their voices that you could hear from that community coming through. Like, it was. It was really emotionally draining. And then um, you got up and spoke and Sister Teela got up and spoke as well mm. and um, galvanised everyone up. And then as soon as we started marching, I don't know what happened, but I did not feel that drain draining. Mm. I did not feel tired. Yeah. I felt so mobilised. Our voices felt really strong and mm-hmm. everyone was just like, it was just really quite powerful. And that was because of the space that you had set for us beforehand. And so I really uh, massively thank you for that because sometimes these protests, like, you know, they can just kind of feel a little bit empty sometimes. Mm. Like, are we really achieving much right now? Like, I just I just feel more drained than anything. Do you walk away feeling quite more traumatised from a protest? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Yep. It can be a little bit like that. It can feel very um, – you walk away kind of feeling more um, helpless and hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's – 
that's what that's why I emphasize that healing is so important in the beginning yeah. because I found that as well. Like I've been a kid going to this protest, marching with my with my pop, with my father mm. and my family, and just seeing the way as a child I've kind of I've I felt that trauma as a kid. I also felt that responsibility. So I also just want to make a shout out whilst we are fighting every day to all the young children and adults out there. Um, your blackness also isn't by just protest. Your blackness also isn't just by going mm. to these events. Like you can be, you can be that child, um, and we will hold space for you. Yeah, we will hold space where yeah. you need that, where we, where we need to do that for you. Um, blackness is all forms of resistance, um, and we are so fortunate to be so gifted in so many different areas as black women. Um, and w- when I reflect on that protest and I look at how that came together, um, our you know our sacred men they they danced, mm-hmm. but they they held space and they the women took charge. The women led that space. Yeah. Um, Uncle Max Harrison, who's an extraordinary UN elder, he um, he stood there and he did not leave that spot. So if we go back and we look at those those protest videos, um, he was standing there that whole time. He did not leave. Yeah. Um, when the last speaker spoke, the fire went out. Oh my god, I remember that moment. Yep. Yeah, and wasn't that phenomenal? So that that if that's not saying that spirit is not present with us all the time, it is there. Yep. Yeah, and um, I think the main thing from that is you made um the healing space through culture because I think we forget that the main thing to that we need to heal is culture. Yep. That's something that I've kind of had reawoken in myself more in a in a more stronger sense of my own approach to um, how I deal with my trauma is that I need to put culture first. Yeah. I think we forget that, like you were saying, like when we go into these spaces and these, because we're, we're constantly working in colonial yep. spaces, aren't yep. we? Yep. In our everyday lives, it's, you know, it's can't present. can't without thinking about something happening. Exactly. Yep. It's all the time. And so it's easy to um, forget where, where we have to go back to. Mm. Yeah. And so I think a big thing that, I wanted to ask you is how you care for yourself after these protests because like we're saying like you can kind of feel that there's so much adrenaline involved in it and it can be quite triggering and traumatizing so when you exit that space what would be your process after that go back to those old people Mm -hmm. um check in um it's such a social thing to say but (laughs) emotionally regulate so i emotionally regulate the space myself um but i'm also checking in on our other sisters and brothers so i'm checking in on the people who spoke um i'm checking in on people that i may have seen in the audience in the space that i kind of felt maybe were triggered um i'm doing a lot of i do a lot of reflecting on the photos because photos can capture a lot Mm. so i'm seeing who was there and i do send a message where i need to um and but even checking on, you know, Gav, because I know as First Nations people, we all carry different forms of trauma as well. We carry different experiences of our trauma. But when we're in these collective spaces, um, it's 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 collective pain as well. Um, and so after, after you know, mobilising and coming together, and I guess my healing strategies is speak to those ancestors, reground. Um, for me, the ocean is just, you know, Bundlung, Widjibul, we're salt water people. So I just get down to the water and I reground. Um, I train a lot because I think we just need to get our body movement, our body moving. Um, when we start moving our body, we start healing those trauma mechanisms that are inside. So moving that body um, and reaching out to really safe people. Like, I think it's so important that every single person in this world has a safe person. Mm. But if you get safe people, you're very, very lucky um, and, and connecting together. So I'm very, very fortunate to have um, extraordinary people in my world who will send me that message tomorrow. We're going to beach. We're going to go train. Mm. We're going to do this. And then I'll have elders that give me a call and saying, 
do you want to come down and do some healing? Yeah. We're going to go down here and we're going to do this. And that's it's actually disconnecting off your phone as well. It's disconnecting off media. Um, it can get a bit fired up after, which, you know, I'm so great that technology does exist because it allows our messages to be shared. Um, but sometimes we can find ourselves caught up on it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put everything away. And again, yeah, reach out to those safe people. And that's how I heal. Yeah. And a lot of things that come out of um, these movements that we're constantly fighting against, we're constantly resisting, Mm. is um, we're also fighting this false identity of Australia. Mm. And um, especially when we roll into Invasion Day periods, Mm. you know, the period of Invasion Day, and this false identity that Australia has of itself and thinking that we're a fair fair go country Mm. and trying to get like trying to bring someone on the level to understand um, what this country is rooted in. It's a really hard um, task. So how do you challenge people that inherently believe that we actually live in a fair go country? Tell them to check their privilege. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you, if you have the privilege to say we live in a fair country, um, you're not saying a lot. You are so protected. Um, You know, since we are far from, far from a fair country. Yeah. We just have to look at, the admission rates in the mental health facilities. We have to look at the suicide rates. Mm-hmm. Three Indigenous kids taking their life a week since January. That's completely... That's that's, that's an a, epidemic. Un- that, it is an epidemic and yeah. it's criminal. Um, it's criminal on the state, it's criminal on the colony and it's criminal that we aren't responding yep. um, to these young people and to these children and to our elders that are suffering. Um, child protection, incarceration, that is not fair. Yeah. We do not live in a fair country. So when I see people, well, actually, the people that I'm around don't necessarily, don't don't even have that perspective because I'm not surrounded by that. Yes. But yeah. when you see it in the media or you see it, for example, as I was on my way to work this morning, sorry, not work this morning, when I was on my way to come <laughs> come in and have a yarn with you, um, I just jumped online quickly and, you know, I the first thing that I see is a white woman um, questioning Oh, sorry, white woman and the white man questioning an individual's Aboriginality um, and just conducting racism towards this guy trying to pull down the Aboriginal flag on his property. Mm. So committing a trespass, going onto this person's property, being racist and trying to say that we don't really have a sense of belonging in this country. Um, it's Monday morning. It's the first thing I'm seeing. Like, mm. how is that a fair go in this country? Um, you know, to this, I think her name was Karen, this white woman yeah. that was saying it. You know, let's shame it. Let's, let's name and shame. That's who she is. That's her you name, know, Karen. It's not, it's not defamation if it's true. So. Not going to lie, we all know a Karen. We all know a Karen. Well, now we know a Karen. Now the world knows a Karen from Mildura. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Victoria Mildura. But, you know, that's the sad part is that's the majority of Australia. Mm. The majority of Australia is racist. The majority of Australia does not check its privilege and the majority of Australia does continue to benefit off the back end of our oppression. They continue to benefit off their workplaces. They continue to benefit off their sporting facilities. They continue to benefit through capitalism. And once again, we are further marginalised in that space. Um, With Invasion Day coming up, um, I I get a little bit exhausted thinking of that day coming up. Like, because Mm. everyone thinks, you know, oh, where where are we going to get all the black people now? Okay, we're going to get, you got to speak on this, you got to do this, you got to run this, you got to run this, you got to run this. But actually, that's that's one of the most painful days in this country. Mm -hmm. That's one of the darkest days in this country. Um, I'm not proud of Australia. I have nothing to be proud of when it comes to Australia except the resilience and the love that we have still survived as First Nations people. so thinking, yeah, thinking of Invasion Day coming up exhausts me a little bit because I know what's coming. Um, and I just think, 
yeah, like we're just not a fair country. Like it's fucked. <laughs> yeah, and there's it's and, fucked. and exactly, and there's also the misconception of what racism is. Mm-hmm. Like trying to fight people that think that you know, no, we're fair go because we don't call you coons anymore. You know, yep. like that type of racism, yeah, and yep. it's a racism that is really sophisticated because it's like it's a racism that's kind of grown and Mm -hmm. it's harder to unmask Mm -hmm. and it's that nice racism you know it's the tone policing that you receive from your white manager and your non-for-profit org that you work for obviously went through it a little bit there Um, (laughs) name 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 and shame (laughs) another Karen (laughs) (laughs) oh more like a Craig Um, (laughs) last name Craig (laughs) but it's like and it's that gaslighting it's that those microaggressions yes you know and it's do you would you agree that that can be more dangerous than the overt racism? I absolutely agree because it's you know you're supposed to be trying to get into these spaces to also get a step up for yourself and your community and you're still going to these organizations and these workplaces where you are micromanaged or oh, I don't think you should say it like this or do you mind if we write this story about you like this because it makes you look like this mm. where they try and take ownership of your identity and control of your identity um, in supposedly like nice mannerism ways but ultimately it's direct racism and it's you know you get framed as the angry black woman who's speaking up or you know you're trying to make too many changes and we need to go through this process this process this process um and i think that's more harmful because it's not necessarily seen by other colleagues in the workplace and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily seen by other people um and unfortunately these people in these powerful positions um can dictate potentially where you end up later because yeah. of because of their positions of power um so I think priority for that is get more of our strong black women in these positions. Not necessarily like black men in CEO positions, but black women yep. in these positions because we are the carriers and we bring our other people up with us. And, you know, my favourite quote, the ultimate duty of freedom is to free somebody else. Um, yeah. And that's what black women do. We free other women, um, free other black women, and we support our men and yeah. we support those in need. So when it comes to that micromanagement and yeah we'll have this we want to you know have this reconciliation action plan in our workplace or we want to you know um hire you know more indigenous people in this space um understand what that really means because we're not just that criteria that you're putting up we are actually beyond that our aboriginality is not our profession our aboriginality is our identity mm. um and our identity is at the front line of who we are and we'll continue to have that at the front line of who we are um because this generation coming up is pretty staunch oh my god so I'm, I'm excited so I'm, I'm, I'm excited too just off the back of that as well with reconciliation because it's something that i feel has been utilized to dismantle accountability from the colony so it's yeah. being used as a tool to kind of neglect any type of healing Mm -hmm. or any type of acknowledgement that's happened Mm -hmm. and it's also it can be it can be a weapon in a way Mm -hmm. like i know a lot of people don't like like reconciliation that time of the year in may that week can also be like that's the time Mm -hmm. of the year i feel like i end up working more (laughs) (laughs) no i think it's an event that um just makes white people feel good Mm. i think it's for them to very much white savior and feel like they're doing the most in their organizations and their spaces and you know since i've said it before but we're not just the sorry days we're not just the nadoc weeks we're not just the reconciliation weeks um we are 24 7 how many days in a year are there three 365 365 days like we are every day we're time immemorial yeah that's right that's (laughs) right and we're not going anywhere yeah um so yeah when i think of those those they're exhausting Mm. like i'm exhausted thinking of the next year already that's coming because um organizations out there just 
are so selective with what they do and it's only for that week and it's further traumatizing like I'm, I'm such a big advocate for understanding trauma and complex trauma and what that means for us um and these weeks just amplify that yeah um and i'm sorry that like you're feeling like that you have to work more because yeah give us that give us a week off let us let let all black people just leave let us have our own spaces mm. let us have our own organization space and then we'll let you do your thing and we'll do our thing exactly i was talking to um brother boy of mine nathan sentence and we're saying how like reconciliation week and nadoc week needs to be like a week off yep yeah <laughs> i remember i had a go at this bus driver once at the start of nadoc week because i didn't pay my opal card i didn't top it up <laughs> and he kicked me off the bus and i was like it's nadoc week my fare should be free anyway <laughs> Uh, did you like, really yeah I was, I was like it's two dollars i was just going down the road and he was like get Don't. off the bus and embarrass me and i was like oh i'll I tell you a random <laughs> fact when i was a kid i wanted to be a bus driver yeah so growing up in housing before i had opal cards and all that the bus would always come but it always leave quickly because we had to have housing and then we'd have all the rich houses just after mm. and yeah so long yarn short um <laughs> when, when the bus would come and i'd say little money train used to be a dollar ten for a bus one. yeah i used to always want to be a bus driver because i wanted to give everyone free rides and i wanted all these change so i could go get um remember jawbreakers on lollies? Yes. yeah i just wanted to have jawbreakers on lollies <laughs> and i wanted all those coins to go get them oh i love that give everyone free, free bus fares yeah, yeah 100%. that's awesome paying taxes for it <laughs> yeah that's right benefiting off our land yeah exactly right. pay to travel and country yeah yeah <laughs> literally literally I'm tired. it's been yeah. a big weekend just give me my free fare literally 100 oh so um we're gonna wrap up soon but just quickly um a couple of more things what would be the advice that you would give um our young people as they challenge this current climate of ongoing colonization advice that i'd give to young people um i'd, I'd remove the young I'd say your people, um, and you know, being being a child. I remember being being a child in care. I just wanted my voice to be heard, mm. um, and I wanted to be able to speak up, and I wanted to be able to go home, and I wanted to be able to be with my family, um, and it wasn't heard. So, to 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 people out there, um, I'd say just keep speaking, keep applying pressure, um, you know. Young blackfellas, you come from warriors of resistance. You come from strength. You come from resilience. You come from love. Um, I'm over being spoken about as if we come from a deficit discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we are the most loving culture in the world. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to do solidarity work in Lebanon and Palestine um, and travel throughout. And when I come back here and I come back to our sacred countries and our lands and waters, I see our First Nations people and I see healing and love just beaming. Um, it is your right to be on this earth, not a privilege. Um, it is your right to undertake education and not a privilege. Um, it is your right to be able to walk the street and not be targeted by police, by the colony. Um, and it is your right to have access to resources and support and opportunities. So to people out there um, who, who just want some advice, I, I think I just want to share with you that um, you are loved. Um, you are loved by elders, you are loved by healers, protectors and truth-tellers and, and, and our healers and truth-tellers and he- are still here and present in these sacred lands and waters um, and to come home and we are waiting for you, um, your elders are waiting for you, your lands are waiting for you, your countries are waiting for you um, and your voices matter more than anything in this world. Um, you know, I, I don't usually tell people my age but, you know, I'm, I'm under 25 and I'm ready for the revolution. Um, I'm ready to fight that revolution and I'm ready to do it with our, with our people um, leading the way because we are in the most 
toughest times right now where our ancestors are crying, mm. they're hurting, but they're also fierce and they're, they're showing their fearful fire through the, through the climate injustices that we're seeing right now. Um, and, you know, our kids are in care and our kids are becoming incarcerated and the idea that someone thinks locking someone up or removing them from their family is the best solution, um, it absolutely just shocks me. Um, so to all those chi- to all children particularly who, you know, are going into court matters, to the extraordinary lawyers who are doing their best to represent them, um, I'll share this now that we're waiting for you to come home um, and I promise to do my bit to make sure you know that home. Um, and, yeah, you're loved just love yeah that's it i think that's the main thing that yeah. we want to that like we forget to kind of push as well as that love yeah. because like we we're saying you know we're so um constantly um under pressure to you know fight and mm-hmm. also and resist all the time like which is like ex- which is brilliant because like we have that resilience and we have that strength but we also have to remember the love yeah as well and loving each other yeah and knowing that, that you've got like i was saying this to one of my sister girls yesterday as well you know like you need to remember that you have so much love around you yeah and it's easy i know it's easy to forget that because you know yeah. mental health and our mental health problems as first nations people is a very real thing yeah it's very yeah. easy to you know fall. I as you said that yeah, yeah like yeah. it's very easy to fall um privy to the to the black dog you know yeah and you know the darkness it is it's i, I totally understand that but it's you know we've got to constantly remind ourselves that love is yeah. love is there and yeah. our elders our elders are out here mm. and they they are ready to do work with our children and they are ready to do work with our people yeah um our children are our ancestors i've seen kids just you know at so many different protests at community at community events um in different spaces where i see a child do something and i'm like out. you're that you're literally that elder right now yeah and you are that ancestor that is fighting through and we need to protect them yeah um we need to actually start addressing um you know the suicide epidemic that we're seeing because black kids under 12 are taking their lives mm. australia is not responding um the government most certainly is not going to respond but you know who will respond our elders and our people um no matter who it is um whether it's, you know, I'm down the street in a random corner or whether I'm in a radio room with you, if we need to talk or you need someone to share share space, just always remember a problem shared is a problem halved um, and you don't mm. ever have to face that. I never, that's a, that's a really great sentence you just put out there. Problem shared is a problem halved. That's deadly. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay, last one. Got real <laughs> heavy. <laughs> yeah. I can just feel that energy with I know, you there. I, can I feel know. It. We can't help ourselves. Yeah, I know. This is what sitters do. I know. And your eyes are getting want to get watery, then I'm going to get watery. Yeah, I know. Shut I up. Can... <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Um, Need another coffee. So, I know. So do I. Yeah, we'll get so, one after. Nessa, when did you realise that your race made you powerful? This is probably going to get really deep again. Yeah, go on. Go for it. <laughs> Um, I realised that how powerful our race was when I was in an abusive foster home. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I might cry. I haven't even spoken about this before. It's all right. You're safe, my sis. Oh, oh you're yeah, safe on live radio. <laughs> you're safe. <laughs> pre-record, um, pre-record. Yeah, yeah pre-record. <laughs> um, I went to a foster home where um, there was abuse and it was in the middle of the night and I... This individual was walking past um, and it was the middle of the night and I was laying in my bed and I felt something wrap wrap their arms around me and protect me and completely guard me. Um, I remember I had a visit with my father um, a couple of days after 
and I looked at my father and then I remember that feeling that I had when mm. I felt these arms wrapped around me. Um, and it was in this moment that I realised that we truly do come from one of the most sacred cultures in the world. Um, that night when I felt that wrapped around me, um, some might say God, some might say um, ancestors, some might say spirit, some might say certain different things. But to me, that was my pop coming back to protect me yep. and to keep me safe. And that's when I realised how powerful our race is mm. because it made me realise that even when we don't necessarily see it, it is there and it is protecting us. And our race and our identity is in our everyday fight and it's in our everyday communities. And when I look to my pop and I look to um, my great-grandfather and I look to my mother and my father, um, I realise just how sacred we are. Mm. And that's something that that I'll never forget that night. Yeah. So that's when I realised that how powerful our race was because I was protected by things I couldn't see. And then when I deconstructed that, I realised that was just how powerful our culture mm. is because it is all around us in ways that we don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was really, I was, I haven't even said that. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you so much. You have no idea how um, blessed I feel right now to have this space with you and to have had this yarn with you this morning as well and to have had you be our last um, guest, our last voice on the show for the year. I think it's really, I think it was meant to happen. Yeah. And I really thank you for coming in here and um, sharing your energy and sharing your thoughtfulness and your words and your experiences. Like it's a lot to have to like mm. um, have these kind of dialogues and these yarns. And the fact that you just come in and you shit like this room feels very. Um, it's full. Eh? It feels very full. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's, I feel very. I'm feeling your energy. Energy, I'm feeling your love. I'm feeling the people that are around you all the time right now. So thank you for coming on and sharing that with me. This has been a really important yarn. I think this is a yarn that I, th- I think I needed to have. <laughs> no, thank you so much, my sister. And thank you for creating a safe space where black people can come and have these conversations. Mm. Um, you know, if there's any type of grassroots movements and grassroots individuals and people that are running stuff, then we need to support each other mm-hmm. um, because that's the people power. It's yeah. exactly what got us here in the first place. Exactly. It wasn't these big organisations or institutions. So thank you and I appreciate you. Race matters. 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 Race matters.